Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. special Sunday for us to be able to come together again with the extended worship of, um, of the Lord with our church family from Victoria West and some other familiar faces here with us today and that is a wonderful privilege now to turn to the worship of God through the studying of his word. Ever since Living Hope Church was started over 11 years ago we've always had the desire and the vision to be a church that's like a trampoline. To be a church that's like a trampoline. A trampoline that allows others to be raised up by God, be equipped to come in, but then to go out again. Start, to start more Bible teaching local churches. And that vision and desire is not something that we just sat around and came up with ourselves. I mean, Dumi already alluded to it. We believe this is at the very heart of what Jesus said just before He went back to heaven in Matthew 28. In the Great Commission, Jesus is calling us to, to reach and to teach. To reach and to teach people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, right? Every village, city, neighborhood with the good news of Jesus and what He has done for us. And a key part of how we go about doing that as we look at the biblical model in the New Testament, is by establishing a place where people can do that. Which we call the church. Planting new churches that are not just concerned about evangelism, but it's aimed at true discipleship, gathering the followers of Jesus together so they can grow together and go to new places. To tell others about what Jesus has done. I like how one man says it. He says it so well. He says, When the apostles and disciples heard the Great Commission, we might consider what they did in response. They did not just evangelize. They congregationalized. When the disciples heard the Great Commission, they planted churches. And so should we. I mean, there are so many reasons why we should be passionate about planting new churches. One reason we get so excited about planting churches is because it forces us to remember what our mission is as a church. Whether you're someone that's going or someone that's staying, it helps to sharpen our focus again by lifting our heads and seeing the needs around us and then look exactly how are we trying to meet those needs and reaching others. Another reason we get excited about church planting is because it provides ongoing opportunity for partnership in the gospel. Where God brings people together to partner in establishing new churches, which means it's an opportunity for these fundamental, deep, 
gospel relationships. I mean, this is what we have with this group that's going out to Pretoria West. We're excited about the ongoing partnership we will have with them and all the opportunities that will come from that partnership. This is like family moving into a new area. And just because they've moved doesn't mean we're not family anymore. We get excited about church planting. And I love this because it creates an opportunity to depend on God in a significant way. It creates an opportunity to depend on God in a significant way. Why? Because the mission is so big. The mission is so big. Church planting can be very, very difficult. And sometimes things don't go the way we plan at all. You see, in church planting, there are so many details to to think about. You try and plan. I mean, you try and think of the area you want to reach. The people in the team needed and willing and called to go. The venue where you will meet. The need for a vehicle to maybe transport people to hear the Word of God. Figuring out stuff like sound equipment and all these other needs. How to start small Bible group studies, outreach events, someone to pack the chairs, someone to clean the bathroom, having a plan for the children, leadership development, church budgets, policies, philosophy and ministry. I can go on and on and on. Creating avenues for experiencing true fellowship. To hear the Word of God preached to be transformed by His Word. There are so many things we have to think about and think hard about and really work hard at when you put yourself in this position of gospel work. And it can feel overwhelming if the fruit's not showing the way you thought it would show. Perhaps one week you're 30 people, the next week you're only 10. And most of that is your own family. I think of the brothers there down in Limpopo that we visited last year. They've been there for 15 years. 15 years faithfully proclaiming the truth of God's Word and the church is only a handful of people. But then there's also the issue of whether the the church sending the people isn't a stable place to be able to even send them. Because it's tempting for us to simply think of our own situation all the time. To be fearful of what will happen if we actually lose these members. To simply think survival when God wants us to think advancement. Advancement. And you might think, there are so many needs already. How can we give towards starting a new church? Why add this massive burden to the ministry load that we already have? Well, Paul is going to help us understand why. Paul is going to help us understand answering that question because he's going to show us why we should do whatever we can to support the ministry and the mission of the local church. He's going to show us the amazing privilege and opportunity we have to give and support the advancement of the gospel. Whether you're someone that's staying right here at Living Hope or someone that's going to Pretoria West. In other words, we could ask it like this. Why should you give your time, your energy, your resources, and basically your life toward helping start a new church plant? Why should all of us be involved and concerned about this? 
we're turning to the book of Philippians. Philippians. And I want us to consider what Paul teaches us by showing you the absolute privilege it is and the benefit we will receive from being involved in church planting. And what we're going to see is that we need to get behind church planting because of the, we will be the ones who's going to profit spiritually. Because we'll be doing something that's pleasing to God. And because God promises to meet the very needs we have right now. Paul is changing the way we think about supporting the work of the church. He is changing the way we think about being generously, sacrificially giving towards church planning. And so turn with me, if you haven't now already opened up to Philippians, we're going to read from chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, and I want to read from verse 10. Our focus will be on verses 17 to 19, but I want you to follow along with me. The words are on the screen as we read from verse 10. Philippians 4, reading from verse 10. Paul writes, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty hunger, abundance, and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except only you. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Ephrodite the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory In Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now as we all know, Paul was the leading church planter of his day. Potentially being involved in maybe 20 plus kind of church plant uh, in the scripture. And perhaps even more as we make some assumptions of some of his travels. In fact, as one man says, by the time his life was over, there were churches from Jerusalem to northern Italy that would endure for centuries of an empire-wide significance. But what we see from this letter is that he, Paul himself, had a very special relationship with the church in Philippi. And this famous section about contentment, No matter what your circumstances are, Paul is showing us the beautiful partnership he had with this local church. And just because he had learned to be content does not mean he's not thankful for their support or in their giving. So he starts this final section of this letter by expressing his joy because of the renewed support he received from them. 
He is super thankful and grateful for their generous, sacrificial support to him, even though he doesn't explicitly say the words, thank you. Now when it comes to showing appreciation for their support towards his church planning efforts, even while he finds himself writing from prison, you know, Philippians was written from prison, he's not using language to simply manipulate them. He doesn't want his thanksgiving to be interpreted as a request for more money. He's also not flattering them by going over the top, dedicating his prison bench to the church in Philippi, somehow engraving their names on it. But he also doesn't just stay silent either. Thinking by staying silent, he will somehow help them not to become proud in their giving, like it's something super spiritual not to say thank you when someone gives to you out of their love. Paul is expressing his appreciation in the Lord. He's seeing their partnership in the gospel and church planting as like having shares in a company, where if you invest together in that company, you will share in the profits, right? Paul is using that same kind of idea when he's talking about their partnership in God's kingdom company. And we see how special this partnership was, because what does he say in verse 15? He says, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving. It's except only you. It's only this church. You see, it's not that the other churches was not interested or not involved in in caring about the needs of Paul. It's not like the church in Thessalonica wasn't concerned about what's going on with Paul. But we have to notice, there's a difference between identifying someone has a need, showing genuine interest in that need, tell me more, you say, Versus actually getting involved to help meet that need. That's what made this partnership between Paul and the Philippians so special. Because the church in Philippi actually got involved. You could say they put their money where their mouth was. Or maybe even more appropriate, they put their money where their hearts were. This was a partnership that was a decade strong, 10 years, where true believers were growing in their giving towards the church and its mission. Where the church in Philippi did not have, have this mentality where it's just, let's just take for myself kind of attitude. Rather it was, let me give of myself for the good of the gospel. This was a church that came to understand the words of Jesus in Matthew 10 verse 8. And I like the NIV translation better here, where Jesus says, Freely you have received, freely give. Freely you have received, therefore freely give. Which means the foundation of a a partnership that is marked by genuine giving is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's once we recognize what grace What talents, gifts, abilities, and resources we all have in Jesus that we can share those resources with the rest of the world freely. And in one sense, if someone asks why you want to get involved in church planting, it's like Livingston, right? How can we not? How can we not? The gospel of grace compels me. 
Paul wants to help us see there's, a, in fact, more motivation and reason to give your life to this work. Because it's a privilege to get behind church planning, whether we are going or staying. And number one, here's number reason number one. Because you will profit spiritually. You want to get behind church planning because you will profit spiritually. This is verse 17. Paul said, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul is being very careful in what he says here. Because he wants to make the point that when you give generously to the work of the church, it actually has a benefit to you. Paul wants the church in Philippi to know that his joy is not simply because they gave him a gift and he, he wants to gain just for himself from their support. He wants him to see that giving is benefiting them spiritually. That's why he says, not that I seek the gifts. This is not for his own gain. I mean, remember, he's just told us this, he's learned how to be content with this without their support. So what's their giving actually doing here? Why is Paul so happy about this renewed partnership after all this time? He says, but I seek the fruit that increases to your account. Their generosity made Paul glad, not because of what the give, gifts meant to him, but what it would mean to them. Yes, giving helps the church planter, for sure. Yes, it helps the people to hear the word of God, Exactly. But more specifically, Paul says, Paul is saying, it also helps the giver. It helps the giver. Giving blesses the giver. Which means as we invest in church planning, at whatever level, whether it's those who are driving this work or being part of the, the team that goes out into Pretoria West or as financial partners and prayer supporters, the point is we all benefit. We get part of the credit from how God achieves His plan through our involvement. We get the fruit that's credited to our account. And so you see, Paul is using the investment, financial language here. And what is he saying, basically? He's saying, because in giving in this way, the Philippians were investing in eternity. The Philippians were investing into eternity. And where does Paul get this principle from? Well, I think he got it from Jesus. Jesus said the same thing at different times throughout his ministry. In Luke 6.38, Jesus said it short and sweet. Give, and it will be given to you. Jesus is not saying, wait until you have more than enough, and then give. He says it the other way around. First give, and then it will be given to you. As you partner in the gospel and the work of church planting by giving to that work, you are making an investment in heaven. An investment that is earning you eternal interest. That's what Paul's saying here. And I like how one commentator puts it. He puts it well. He says, The picture painted by the accounting metaphor is of multiple interest that accumulates all the time until the last day. The apostle has employed this commercial language to show that he has set his heart on an ongoing permanent gain for the Philippians in the spiritual realm. The advantage that accrues to them 
as a result of their generous giving and God's blessing in their lives, by which they continually grow in the graces of Christ until He returns. But the thing is, it's much easier for us to forget about making eternal investments when we're only thinking about our own needs all the time. We are missing out on the future rewards that will come our way if we miss the opportunity to support kingdom work now. Peter and Jesus, they're talking and having a conversation in Luke 18.28. Peter says, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And how does Jesus respond? Verse 29. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents of children or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Some people are very good with money. They know what companies and stocks to invest in to get them the best returns, right? Here Paul is giving us financial advice with eternal dividends. And here's a reality. Eternity is but one moment away for all of us. Eternity is but one moment away for all of us. And maybe because of all the issues that you face on a daily basis, you don't see it as being that close. Or, or perhaps you think of it as something that is still so far off in the future. We still have time to figure this all out one day. I just need to take care of the problems I have right now. But honestly, then we think about this accident where Britain and Lesejo were involved in this week, and by God's grace, He spared them. But in a moment, it could have been so different. In a moment, your life can change forever. And so let me ask you, how are you investing in that future reality now? How are you investing in that future reality now? What does your eternal investment account look like because of supporting the work of the local church now? Paul is saying he's looking for the fruit from all of this. Your life will be more fruitful as you look beyond your own needs towards the needs of others. Because when you start to prioritize and support the work of God, you learn to be content with what you have. You learn to focus on what is most important to God. You come to a place where you, you're freed from yourself and all your wants. Because you have the good of others in mind. So think about it. When you, when you plan to give to the church, for example, it's more realistic that you will give wisely toward this kind of work if you actually have a plan. Rather than just giving without any sort of idea what's, what's going on. No financial advisor will tell you that just to throw a free ransom set into some kind of investment when you feel like it. When making an investment to get the best return, it helps to have a good plan. We carefully notice the best opportunities. and If you want to get the best eternal returns on your investment, then Paul says, here is an amazing opportunity right now. Invest in the mission of the local church. 
But not only does supporting the mission of the church and church planning bring you eternal rewards, it also helps you to worship God in a way that pleases Him. Because that's what Paul mentions next. It's a privilege to get behind church planting because you will be pleasing God. You will be doing something that pleases God. Verse 18. And think about it. Is there any greater motivation in this life, honestly, than knowing that what you're doing is actually bringing pleasure to your Father in heaven? Not only does generous gospel-driven giving positively positively affect the giver and the one who receives it. But Paul says this kind of giving affects God as well. This is the kind of giving that really brings him pleasure. He says in verse 18, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied having received from Ephroditus the gifts you sent. What are these gifts like? A fragrant offering. A sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul's reminding the church that even though God lavishly provided for him through their giving, meeting his need well beyond what was needed, that something bigger was going on. Their financial giving towards church planting had a much greater purpose than just meeting his needs. Because the way they would steward God's money was an act of worship given to God. Let me say that again. The way we steward our money is an act of stewardship to God. And this is something we're trying to repeat again and again here at Living Hope. Not because the church simply needs more of your money and resources to advance the gospel. But the way you give according to what goes on in your heart, whether it's five cents or 50,000 rand, this is an act of worship. It's a real opportunity to worship God in a way that pleases Him. But Paul leaves the financial advisor language now and he goes to transition to some Old Testament sacrificial language. Old Testament sacrifice language. As, as we look at this, he's, he's using three different sacrificial terms here to emphasize the value of giving to church planning. He says this kind of giving is a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice and pleasing to God. So the picture he wants us to think about is just as these Old Testament sacrifices that were slaughtered and burned was this pleasing aroma. In the same way, sacrificial giving pleases God. I mean, think of that smell of meat on the fire as we walk past the bride, right? Can anyone walk past that smell and not think how amazing it must be to eat some of that meat? Not to be drawn in thinking how wonderful it must be to share in that. I mean, honestly, we're going to have a bride after the service. And so think about it. Even as you smell that wonderful smell that comes from the bride, that's the kind of sacrificial giving. That's what it smells like to God. In Romans 12, we all know this passage so well. Romans 12, Paul said to the Roman church, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
You see, it's not just the way you use your money that is important to God. It's the way you use your whole life. And one thing we notice from life and from the Bible is that not everyone has the same gifts, right? We don't all have the same capabilities or, or, or gifts given to us. That's part of why God has purposely put us together in the church family that way, that we might be able to offer up what we have together. Again, further down, Romans 12, Paul says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Paul is talking about what partnership in the gospel looks like. And then he goes on to say, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, if the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And the point is God uses his body made up of all these different gifts and calls them to use the gifts for the kingdom. And part of that is being generous in how you support the mission of the local church. You see, when I receive a donations report of money that was coming for the new quantum that is needed for the Pretoria West Church plant, I'm not just handling a report that simply reflects money, numbers on a page. What I'm handling is a sacrifice to God that's really important to Him. When the steering committee is giving their time to meet week after week to plan out the worship service and the, and the order of service, sacrificing their time after hours, they are busy worshiping God. When someone is cleaning up the church after the service and replacing the toilet rolls in the bathroom, they're not just cleaning, they're worshiping God. When guys show up early to set up the video camera and get all the slides ready, they're not just busy with technology. They are allowing people to hear the Word of God. They are busy making an offering that is pleasing to God. A sacrifice that's like a good smelling piece of meat on an open fire. Because that is what sacrificial giving is. It's denying yourself for the good of others. In fact, in Ephesians 5, Paul said, these amazing words. Listen to this. Therefore be imitators of God. In other words, look at the example of Jesus as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see, it's when true gospel love takes over your heart. We will be the kind of people that will go the extra mile for others. Which means we are going the extra mile for God. Because we are imitating what Jesus Himself did. But Jesus takes it to a whole nother level, doesn't He? He didn't just go the extra mile. Jesus went all the way. He's the one who went the full distance. Giving up His very life which was the needed 
fragrant offering and sacrifice that enables us now by faith to let go of our greed. Let go of our own desires and be committed to the work of the church. To give up our own personal comforts so we can structure our lives and our resources in such a way that we can be all in like Jesus was when it comes to supporting the mission of the local church. So what, like the Philippians, we can also put our money where our hearts are. Use our gifts and talents for the the very purpose it was given. And so you would agree with me that if we're going to keep planting churches, we need to keep our hearts, our minds, and our resources squarely focused on Jesus. And so what Paul is telling us today is that when we get involved in church planting at any level, we get credit. We get this credit that accumulates in our eternal accounts. We also offer up a kind of worship to God that really matters to Him. Our involvement in the mission of the church brings pleasure to God. But there's one more privilege we get to enjoy. One more privilege when we get involved in church planning. Paul is motivating us to get behind church planning, thirdly, because God promises to meet our own needs right now. Verse 19. Listen to this. And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. This is amazing, incredible assurance that Paul gives the church here. He says the church supplied his needs sufficiently, but now he gives them a promise that God will supply all of their needs out of his infinite resources. In other words, he says, God is committed to making sure that the giver doesn't suffer because they give. Did you hear that? God makes sure that the giver doesn't suffer just because they give. I mean, we should be like, wow, that's, that's, that's not how we think about this, right? It's kind of huge. Why? Because God knows exactly that the fear of the future can hinder my generosity. It hinders my generosity to the mission of the church. God knows that our fears of not having enough ourselves hinders us from seeing the opportunities that are right in front of us for investing in the kingdom of God. He knows our fears of uncertainty that causes us to simply look inwardly. And so he makes this incredible, incredible promise. A promise to help us give in faith. A promise to help us give in faith. And so we have to stop and think about this a little bit carefully because it almost sounds like it's like this get-rich-quick kind of scheme, right? If I give my money to the church, then God is going to give me more in return. Hallelujah! This is where the guys come running out with their credit card machines right about now. Start swiping. But this is not what God is saying. If I give my rent money away, that I've already made a promise to giving every month, then God is not going to give you more money because you simply because you give it to the church. This is not what God is saying. We know it's one of those verses and principles which the prosperity guys have messed up for so, for so many people. They've abused it. 
And so we've got to be careful not to make it say more than this passage is saying. But at the same time, church, we can't ignore the promise that God makes to those who give generously, sacrificially, and in faith to the mission of the church. We see the principle of this promise at work in other places of Scripture as well. 2 Corinthians 9.11 Paul also said, You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. You see, in the context of the Corinthian situation, during their time of extreme poverty, they were still looking toward the needs of others. They were looking toward the needs of the church. And God says, as they kept on giving sacrificially, even out of their poverty, that He will richly supply their needs. In other words, they had to trust that God will provide for them as they provided for others. They had to trust that God will provide for them as they provided for others. And that is why we can be so confident as a church that as we sacrifice 20 members going to Pretoria West, that God will not only bless that work and take care of those needs, but He's going to keep sustaining the work of the church here as well. Look back 11 years and you can see the testimony of this promise. Look back 11 years and you see that God has kept His promise again and again and again. Because here we are, still today. That is why those going to Pretoria West can be so confident that as they sacrifice for getting that work started, God will take care of their needs. Not their wants, their needs. This is a promise and God keeps His promises. We sang about that. I've personally seen this in my own life. And several times I've been the recipient of someone's sacrificial giving. When I also see God providing for that same person so that they can keep on being a blessing to others. When my family and I go down to the Eastern Cape, there's this place where we stay. There's this river. A river that flows directly out of the ocean. Now God's resources are like the ocean. And they flow to us down that river. And they are not meant to stop with us. They are meant to keep flowing and reaching and blessing others all along this flowing river. And as the river flows, God keeps sustaining all those who channel the flow of His provision. And we are never in danger that God's ocean of blessing is going to run dry. And here's the thing, sacrifices might look different for different people, but you can never outgive God. You can never give more than God gave. And the way he gives back to his children is way more than he needed. We need. Paul, he experienced this right here in this verse. Through the loving supply of the Philippian church. Our glorious riches are supplied in Christ. And once we see that, what is it that we come to understand? We come to understand that Christ is enough. Christ is enough. We see that we too can be content, whether there's 10 people at church or 100 people at church. Whether we have this dynamic children's ministry or not. Whether there are new visitors coming on Sunday or not. God is showing us 
that there's this amazing opportunity and privilege of supporting the mission of the local church. Giving is a way in which we bear fruit. It's a way in where we store up treasures for ourselves in heaven. It's a kind of worship that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And it's all backed up by this incredible promise that the more our love and generosity flows, the more we experience God's love and generosity ourselves. As we live in a generous, sacrificial way, we can trust that God will take care of us. In times of uncertainty, that is when we look to the promises of God. That's when we look to the promises of God. And another wonderful promise that Jesus made in Matthew 16 is, not even the gates of hell will prevent, prevail against His church. Think about that. Why do we get excited about church planning? Because we have some hardcore promises backed up by Jesus Christ. So when our hearts are captured by what God has done through Jesus, taking our place, bearing our sins, removing all condemnation and guilt from us, leaving us with this new life, lavishing us with His love, making us His people, how can we not take that truth to the ends of the world? How can we not take that truth and sacrifice to going to Pretoria West? How can we not want others to experience God's rich blessing of contentment and giving and being generous through the local church? So ask yourself, why would you not want to get involved in church planning? Whether you're going or sending. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the the wonderful encouragement you give us from your word. That the mission of the church matters to you. You gave your life to this mission. And you call us to do the same. But Father, you don't call us to do it just by trying to figure out life by ourselves. You give us wonderful encouragement from your word that as we have hearts that grow in gospel appreciation, that we have hearts that grow in generosity. Hearts that grow in sacrifice. Hearts that grow in love for my neighbor. Willing to go to whatever area it is that you call us. To proclaim the wonderful gospel, life-giving truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Father, we thank you that you give us this encouragement, knowing that this, this sacrifice, this, this, this going, Lord, this staying, this giving... Is such a pleasing aroma to you. Thank you that you give us this encouragement from your word today that, to help us to, to be reminded to, to look beyond ourselves. To look beyond what really matters in this world. Thank you that you are the God who plants churches. Thank you that you are the God that promises that your church will prevail. And Lord, we know that even as Satan comes with his fiery darts to derail this work, Lord, we pray for your blessing that you would establish that work in Pretoria West. That you would deepen the partnership we have with this, this church family as we see them go. So like Paul, we can rejoice together in the way you care for us. 
And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.